Sunday of Paona, and today the Gospel is from Luke chapter 11. And in the Gospel of today, the disciples, they ask the Lord an important question. They ask the Lord how they should pray. And the Lord taught them how to pray using the Lord's Prayer. So today what I'd like to do is go through the Lord's Prayer and discuss some of the deep meanings of the Lord's Prayer. Because in the liturgy, we say the Lord's Prayer many times. I counted seven times, maybe you can count more. But we say the Lord's Prayer so frequently, yet maybe we don't really understand the true meaning of some of the things we're saying. So today we want to understand some of the depth and the beauty of the Lord's Prayer. But before we go into some meditations on the Lord's Prayer, I have three lessons that I I want us to pick up just from the discussion that the disciples had with the Lord. One lesson that I think we can learn from the Gospel of today is that the disciples were not scared to ask questions. When they had a question, they went to the Lord and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. And this might have been a dumb question. I mean, I'm sure some of the disciples were like, what, you don't know how to pray? How long have you not, you haven't seen anybody praying before? And so they might have said, wow, why are you asking such a silly question? But actually, I'm very thankful, and I think we're all very thankful that they asked this question. Because if they didn't ask this question, maybe we would have missed out on a great answer. And how the Lord taught them how to pray the Lord's Prayer and, and we pray it so many times now. So really, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Really, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Well, I take that back. There is something as a dumb question if you're not interested to know the answer. If you're not interested to know the answer, or you're not interested in the question itself, but sometimes you just pose questions just for the sake of posing questions, then it's a, it's a dumb question. It is. Sometimes when I ask Michelle, I say, is there food in the fridge? Or I ask something, she says, have you looked? And I say, oh, okay. It's a dumb question. It's a dumb question. If I look, if I want to know the answer, it's in front of me. I can look and see the the answer in front of me. The same is true about the Pharisees. One time they went to the Lord and they said, tell us by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority? They asked the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave you this authority to do all this? You say, that's a good question. No, it was a dumb question. Why was it a dumb question? Because they didn't want to know. So the Lord said, okay, you have a question for me? I have a question for you. The baptism of John, is it from men or is it from heaven? And they said, uh... And then he said, okay, I'm not going to answer your question. He didn't answer their question, not because it was a bad question, it was actually a great question. But the question doesn't have meaning because they weren't searching for the answer. The second lesson I think we can learn from this story is that when you have a question, you should go to the person qualified to answer your question. If you want to learn to pray, then you should go to someone who prays well. Makes sense. If you want to learn to pray, you should go to someone who prays well. Someone who knows, who has experience, who can answer your question in the best possible way. If your car's broken down, you don't go and ask the flower or the gardener how to fix the car. You go to a mechanic. You go to someone who has this expertise, the, the experience to help solve your problems. 
Nowadays, especially youth and adults, sometimes we seek advice from all the wrong people. They don't have the experience. You're seeking advice for the wrong. If you have a good question, go to the right person to get your answer. Don't get your answer from somebody who doesn't care for you, who's going to try to bring you down, who doesn't have the best for you at heart. The third lesson, and I think this one is very important, is that the Lord is in favor of repetitious prayer. The Lord is in favor of repetitious prayer. When the disciples, they came and said, teach us how to pray, the Lord did not answer the disciples the way people talk now. If the disciples or someone comes and says, how should we pray? You say, oh, just open your heart and say whatever is on your mind and talk to God freely and say whatever. That's not what the Lord said. He gave them, He said, pray like this, Our Father who art in heaven. I'm not saying that th- those are bad things. It's very good that you pray from your heart. And, but there is a beauty in the repetitious, in the structured prayer that the church gives us, that the Lord Jesus Christ gave us. Do you see what I'm saying here? That we don't devalue and say, Oh, just pray how you want to pray. It's okay. Do what you want. Open your heart. No. There was a structure too. There was a structure too. Prayer And the Lord Jesus Christ gave them structure in their prayer. And actually the sayings of the apostles, the earliest teachings of the apostles, it's called the uh, Didache. In the sayings of the apostles they say, every Christian should pray the Lord's prayer three times per day. At least. So you can see the early church loved repetitious prayer. So three lessons we said. What I mean, huh? Huh. First lesson. There's a, no, ask questions. You have to ask questions. Two. Ask the right person. Three. Repetitious prayer is very valuable. Now let's go into the prayer and talk about what our Father means. Our Father starts with our Father. What do you learn about this? Two things. One, our. Notice that it never says my. There is no me, my, me, I, or any singular pronoun used. Every time in the Lord's Prayer, it is about our, we, us. Give us. As we. Means that this is a communal prayer. So it means that when we pray our Father, we should pray communally. Some values community. That's the importance of community in prayer. So don't tell me I just pray by myself. No. Our Father. We. The prayer is set for plural. The second thing, Father. Father, I think you know that we have a Heavenly Father. A Heavenly Father. And if we have a Heavenly Father, that means that we are all His sons and daughters. So that means if you look at the people around you, if you look at the people around you, that means that they're your family. There's a new idea coming up in the church that says, and this is a haga, very wonderful, I love it a lot, but it's okay, is that when we come to church, we want to pray like as a family together. Like, you know, means that spouses want to sit together and kids, and this is good, and I encourage the kids to sit next to their parents. But, 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 there's a bigger concept here that anyone who sits 
next to you should be considered your your family. Everyone who sits next to you should be considered your family. Don't tell me just my spouse is my family. Oh, your family together. Everyone that sits next to you is your family. You want to pray together as a family? You pray together at home as a family. Pray together at home. The people who say they want to pray as a family at church, they don't pray together at home as a family. Just as a realization. You can test your heart about that concept. Okay? Bastiani, that's uh, my experience. If you pray together as a family at home, then you come here and you pray with a larger family here together in the church. The second uh, thing, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. We're not praying that God's name becomes more holy. When we say, holy be your name, we're not praying that the Lord becomes like our prayers is going to make the Lord more holy. That's not what we're praying for. When we say, hallowed be your name, what we're saying is, may your name be kept holy in us. May your name be holy in us. That's why one of the most common verses in the scripture is, be holy for I am holy. Be holy for I am holy. So we're asking that His name be in us and be holy. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This part we say frequently and no one understands anything. And actually, if you understood what it means, I think we wouldn't pray it. Actually, we should just skip this part. Of the, just skip this part because this part has great significance. It means we have to be saintly people. Because when we say, thy kingdom come, we're asking for like the judgment day. We're asking for us to go into the heavenly place. And that could either be very comforting or that could be very scary and very horrible. So when you say, Thy kingdom come, you know, Saint Cyril of Alexandria, he says, this prayer is for the saints. (laughs) He says, you can't pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, if you're not living a Christian life. How are you going to say, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, and you living a life very differently? Some people, they always say, we want God's will to be done, but they're living a different way. So how can you say, Thy will be done? First you have to say, okay, if you want Thy will, if you want God's will to be done, you have to say, okay, I'm ready to let go, and God you take, I will do whatever you say. I will follow your commandments. Does that make sense? That's why this is uh, very serious. In Matthew 25, the Lord says He was sitting on the throne and He's going to separate His sheep from His goats. His goats should be on this side and the sheep on this side. (laughs) Not literally, no. But He said, and then He says, Come to Me, you blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom which is prepared for you before the foundation of the world. That's what we're praying for. And that's why the church always prays this prayer. It says, come to me, you bless- inherit the kingdom. We're praying for the kingdom. We're waiting for the kingdom. Only the righteous can pray that part. The wicked and impure, they cannot say that part. Give us this day our daily bread. This part refers to two types of bread. One, the physical, and two, the, the spiritual. The physical bread, we remember the stories in the Old Testament of when the Israelites were in the desert and God would rain down upon them the manna from heaven. And God would give them sustenance every day. Every day God would feed His people. 
And the people could not take for the next day. You had to take your portion for the current day. That means that God has to feed us every day. We rely on God for our food every day. Our physical food, and then also the spiritual food is the, sp- the food that we're about to partake of. And that's why the Lord says, man cannot live by, on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That means we live on the true bread, which is the word of God. That means we have to have a message from God every day. Every day. Every day we have to have a message from God. We have to feed on the word of God. There's a, a prophecy I just read in Amos this past week, and it was very nice. He says in the days of Amos, there's going to be a famine and a drought. But Amos wasn't talking about a drought of food. He says, I will send a famine on the land. God is saying, I'm going to send a famine on the land. He said, not a famine of bread. Not a famine of bread. Nor a, not, nor a famine of water but hearing of the words of the Lord. So that means that we, we, without the word of the Lord, we become empty. We have to feed on... means daily Bible reading, daily prayers. As we forgive our sins, for we, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. This also is one we say all the time, well doesn't matter how we live, it's just, we say. And this one, in the Gospel of Matthew, it says, and forgive us our debts. Are you in debt? Do you have debt? What are you in debt for? You're in debt because of your sins, our sins. Our sins are a big debt. Huge debt. A debt that you can't afford to pay. It's beyond your means. All the money in the world cannot pay for a tr- the smallest sin that you commit. There's a beautiful parable in the, in the gospel. It's in Matthew chapter 18 about a servant who was in debt and he owed his master 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. In that time, one dinar was the average day of work and one dinar or one talent, one talent equals 6,000 dinar. So one talent equals 6,000 dinar, so that's how many days of work? Yeah, the math folks here, this is good. Okay, that means that's 6,000 days of work. So one talent is 6,000 days of work. And this servant, he owed 10,000 talents. So that means... 200,000 years of work. A master, a servant owes his master 200,000 years of work. And so this master came to his master, this servant came to his master and said, Master, I can't pay, I can't pay. And you know what's written about the master? He had compassion and said, Forgiven. You're forgiven. 10,000 talents. 10,000. And then this, this wicked servant had a servant who, his servant owed him a hundred dinar. And he said, and made him pay every last penny. And then the master went and took that servant and said, you're a wicked servant because I've forgiven you 10,000 talents and you don't forgive your brother a hundred dinar. 
All of us are in debt. All of us are in debt and the Lord forgave us our debts. And then we go and we have little tiffs and fights and misharif in and I'm mishakadim this person and mishakadim. Zay, how? If you're forgiven 10,000 talents, you can't be, you have to forgive. You have to forgive. Our God forgave us very easily with His blood. So you have to forgive. So when we say, as we forgive those who trespass against us, that we have to forgive our neighbor. We have to love our neighbor, our brothers and sisters. The last part is, and do not lead us into temptation. When we say that, we're not praying that, um, that we're, not, we're not saying that the Lord leads us into temptation. We're asking that the Lord not to let us to fall into temptation. Don't let us fall into temptation. That's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did the Lord tell His disciples? He said, watch and pray, lest you fall into temptation. The only way out of temptation is only through two things. Through prayer and fasting. Only two ways to, 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 to avoid or to conquer temptation is through prayer and fasting. That's it. That's why when the devils were, couldn't be cast out, he said this kind cannot come out except by Prayer and fasting. If you want the devils and the temptation to leave you, you have to pray and fast. It's the only way. That's why we're struggling in this time because we don't fast anymore, unfortunately. And I'll talk to you guys about that later. And it's not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, this part is not part in the gospel, but was added because the Lord said, whenever you pray, pray in my Name And whatever you ask in my name, I will give to you. So we added this part. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. I ask that we pray. And I pray that we pray this prayer with fervency, with passion. We understand now the meanings of this prayer. And we ask God to deliver us from the evil one and to fill us with His Holy Spirit. Especially in this time of the Holy Spirit. This is the time of the Holy Spirit. And glory be to God forever. Amen.